0: Thank you. Hello. Ooh. Sounds good. <sighs> Yay. Well, I'm so glad to be spending Sunday night with you. I don't know. I might have been watching Netflix or something else, right? Like, this is such a good way to spend a Sunday night to worship to connect with God, and to be able to position our hearts to hear from Him and to know Him more. So that's what I'm doing, and I invite you to do that as well, just to position your heart to say, God, I want to know you more. I want to know you more after tonight than I have before tonight. So I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to get into this message, and just know God more. Yay. So, Father, I thank you that you make yourself known to us. That you're not a distant God that keeps us at arm's length, but that you actually open up the availability to know you. God, I pray that we wouldn't take that for granted and that we wouldn't move past ever the place of looking to know you more, that we would never feel like we've arrived at knowing you, but that we would always look to you for more revelation of who you are. Yes, God, our hearts are open. Our hearts are ready We're so grateful for how we have known you in the past. Those sweet moments that only you can have given us. Those times that we look and see your hand. Those times that we know that you called us out of darkness into light. We're so grateful for those times, God. So grateful. Tonight, we just want to take the diamond and turn it so we can see another facet of who you are. May we just be in awe and fascinated by who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Sounds good. So tonight, I have the honor of closing out this weekend of responding to the voice. Of God. Isn't it great that we serve and love and know a God who speaks? I love that, that we don't serve an object that has no way of interacting back with us. That he's an actual person, an actual being, an actual spiritual entity that we can know. It's a crazy. It's crazy. And so with that, as we've heard God's voice, and we've understood things that have kind of been like a confirmation in our spirit, like things that we desire that are good things, it can be challenging when we know we've heard God, when we know that we have something in our heart that's stirring, that we're going after that isn't a bad thing. And when we have those things that we know, but we don't have them yet, it's a bummer, right? (laughs) It's the worst. You're like, I know this is a good thing, but I don't have it yet. What do we do in those times of waiting? I don't know about you, but I'm not a huge fan of waiting, sort of, kind of. There are good times of waiting, like for Christmas, right? How many of you, it's November 1st, and you're like, boom, you're decked out for Christmas. The lights go up. The tree is, like, situated. Okay, I'm kind of like that. I'm, like, half there. On the November 1st, I always watch the movie Elf with Will Ferrell. It's really dumb, but it's so Christmassy. So my girls and I, November 1st, the calendar changes. We're in Christmas mode for two months. But as it gets closer to December 25th, I remember as a kid that we would make those paper chains where you do like uh, alternating red and green like loops, and then every day you'd tear off one of those loops so you could get that countdown to Christmas. That's kind of fun. I mean, I would be kind of sad if for some reason I like totally forgot and one morning woke up and it was Christmas and I missed those two months of anticipation. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes the anticipation is fun. And then there are other times when the anticipation isn't as fun, like roller coasters, okay? I grew up near here in Crystal Lake, and so I went to Six Flags I don't even know how many times. But I went as a junior hire who was afraid of roller coasters. So I was kind of like the downer in the group of my youth group that we would go to the Six Flags, and I would go to the shows and, like, Uh, eat the food and hang out, but going on the roller coasters was so scary for me until I was 12, and finally, I got up the courage at the end of the day to go down one of those roller coasters that wasn't too high. It was the one that was like a toboggan. Did any of you guys go on that one where it would, like, come off of the tracks, and you'd be going around, like, um, what's it called? Bobsled? Yeah, and then it would get back on the track, and it would, like, jump, bump in to get back on the track. Anyway that first hill oh my word i was like what am i doing this is crazy this is re- i'm going to die like this is awful why do people do this over and over and over and over i can't understand it like the whole way going up and i'm like watching the ground getting smaller and farther away i'm like this is ridiculous i don't know what i'm doing and like just looking at that hill coming you know to an end and then coming up to the top but that first hill down I was sold. I love roller coasters. But that first hill, every time, I'm just like, oh oh my goodness, oh my goodness, this is, this is going to happen. I, there's no turning back. I'm strapped in. They're like moving away from the gates. This is going to happen. That kind of waiting, there's a lot of anxiety <laughs> and some trepidation that comes with it. But as we get to the top, it's almost like the waiting is forgotten because we receive the joy that we were waiting for. And that's what I want to talk about. Some of you may be on that hill. You're like, "Oh my goodness, I said yes, and now what was I thinking? The ground is getting farther away. I can't turn back. Like I've already said yes to Jesus. This is go- this is happening. But oh my word, what was I thinking? This is crazy." Some of you may be in the joy of a Christmas feeling like, yay, Christmas is coming, and I get to enjoy every single moment preparing for Christmas. Regardless, often when we're given a promise from God, there is some waiting involved. And how we handle the waiting season matters. And so we're going to look at that tonight. How do we handle the waiting? What do we do? What What do we use in our, how do we occupy our thoughts as we're waiting? And so I want to start out by looking at a story in the Bible, in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. This is a story, um, Ben mentioned it earlier this morning, if you're here for the service this morning, about a family and a story that Jesus told about a promise that these two sons were expecting. There was a good father. Jesus said it represents God. There was a good father, and he had this inheritance that was a promise. In the Jewish culture, it was just a given that the father would give of his living. That word in Greek means his life. Everything that he gave his life for would be passed on to his children, especially the sons. And so here, Jesus is telling us about two sons and how they handled that, like knowing there was something that was going to come, but not having it yet. Okay? So I'm going to read through this, and then we're going to go back and look at how this applies to waiting for promises. So verse 11, he said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. He said, Give me my promise right now. So he divided his wealth between them, and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country. And he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe, and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat. So that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he has devoured your wealth with prostitutes. Who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes? You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found." Okay, so there's a lot we can learn from this story. But what I want to look at is how the two sons waited for their promises and how they handled the promises that were okay to have. Like this was not an evil thing. Like this was the natural order of things, that the father had these promises for his sons. But there was a certain timing that was involved with these promises. So first of all, the younger son, what did he do? Instead of waiting, letting the father have his time and waiting for the right time, he demanded and made it happen for him to have his promises. It kind of reminds me of Abraham When he had a promise of a son, and he and Sarah, instead of just waiting, they made it happen with their Ishmael that came. In the same way, this younger son just kept looking outside the home, like, I have to get out of here. I have to have something to fulfill what's inside of me. And so he blew off the cultural, appropriate timing And said to his father, give me what would be mine if you were dead. This was very insulting. I wish you were dead. Why aren't you dead yet? Can we just get this over with? Let's just do the exchange. Let's figure it out. My share of your life right now. And instead of staying in the home and waiting for that right time, he took what he wanted in order to go outside the home to seek fulfillment. With the older son, we see an interesting thing. At the end of this parable that Jesus told, the father said, all that is mine is yours. And logically, that was absolutely true. The younger son had his share, so everything that was left, once the father was gone... It all belonged to the older son. But the older son was corrected for not enjoying what he had in that moment. Isn't that interesting? Like the younger son was enjoying the inheritance and the older son wasn't. But because of where they were enjoying it, that was the issue. The younger son left the home, but the older son stayed and couldn't understand how to celebrate what he had. There was something that was off in his thinking, and my husband talked about that this morning, that he didn't understand that he could enjoy the Father and what he had right then. So, in my life, there have been times that the promises have been visible and almost tangible, but not in my life yet. But first I want to tell about a promise that my husband had that he went after and that was me. He met me at Bible College and knew that I was the one. Just like the light shone and there was like angels singing, oh, there she is. And he said, what am I waiting for? I found her. And so he told me that I was the one. And so I rejected him, of course. Right? So after we knew each other for two weeks, he told me that I had qualities that he always desired in a wife. And if I was interested, he would love to pursue a relationship with me that could possibly end in marriage. And I was like, uh, you just met me, so there's no way you could possibly know me So no, I'm not going to do anything alone with you. Bye. (laughs) And then for about a year and a half, he tried to date other girls at college. And it just didn't work so well. He would be with them. And then he would go back to his apartment. And God would say, why are you with someone else's wife? Micah is your wife. And he would be like, oh, but look, she's running away from me. And I was because he kept kind of, like, trying to pursue me. It was really annoying. He was, like, on the cleaning staff at the college, and so he would write notes on my door, which is a girl's floor. Like, guys aren't supposed to be up there. So I would come back from class, and there would be a a note from Ben. Hi, just wanted to say hi, Ben. Oh, my word, it was so irritating. Like, please, can you just, like, get a clue? I'm not interested, buddy. And he would, like, stop me in the hall, and he would be like, Hi, Micah, guess what? I just preached at a church this weekend, and 200 kids got saved. And I would be like, hmm, that's nice. See ya. (laughs) It was so bad. And during this time, he just kept telling these girls that he was dating, I'm sorry I can't be with you because I'm supposed to marry Micah. When I found out about that later, I was pretty embarrassed that that's how he broke up with these girls that he was dating at college. And he had prophets tell him that he had just met his wife and her name started with M. And he had random people that had dreams with both of us together and they would tell him. And I got nothing. Nothing. He was just Ben, the sweeper stalker boy that was like coming after me and had these like weird thoughts that, about me that I just didn't understand. And so... My journey during this year and a half was how hard my heart was toward Ben. Like, everything he did was annoying. Everything he did just caused my walls to get higher and stronger because he wouldn't get the message. And I was very clear. What I told you is what I said to him, and yet he still came after me. And so one day, finally, I was driving in my car, and this thought came through my head what if Ben Williams was the one for you to marry? And I was like, that's ridiculous. That could never happen. Oh, my word. Do you see what he's doing? But God came back again, and he said, but what if? And I was like, I don't know. And he said, "I, I knew that I was supposed to say out loud, if Ben Williams is the one for me, then I'm okay with it. But it was so hard to say. I was like, okay. If Ben Williams, oh my gosh, that could never happen. That's crazy. That's ridiculous. Just me driving in my car, trying to say out loud a glimpse of possibly being open to Ben. This is so hard for me to tell this story because I love him so much and he's wonderful. But in my heart, I had taken his behavior as a no. Like, there's no way because of how he's acting towards me. So finally I said it out loud and then I laughed for like 20 minutes straight because it was just like the funniest thing possible. So then after about a year and a half we had this like our story takes like 45 minutes to tell but we had this like random like series of events where um, his roommate saw me and I was like being convicted about how mean I was being to Ben and I was like saw his roommate, and I was like, yeah, I should probably talk to Ben, and he was like, oh, really? I said, yeah, I should probably just, you know, have a conversation, and he was like, well, that's amazing, because if someone told me that they were going to marry a person whose letter was the same as the letter that my name started with, I wouldn't have anything to do with them, and I was like, hmm, he never told me that. His roommate was like, oh. Oops, (laughs) because Ben didn't share that information with me. Somehow he was that wise to not tell me that about me. But I just blew it off. I was like, it's fine. I still need to talk to him. So we had a phone conversation, and he shared with me that he had made marriage as an idol in his heart that once he got married, everything would be perfect because he shared this morning about his broken home and how his parents had both married different people, um, multiple marriages. And so for some reason, he thought if he got married, then that kind of like chaos would end, and he could finally have peace. But God was shaking it up in his heart that he could only find that in him. And so because he was looking at the promise of marriage, which is a good thing, it wasn't a bad thing, and looking at being married to me, which is awesome. It's a really good thing. He was, amen, (laughs) good job. (laughs) He was looking at that and saying, I have to have that now. Was he right? He was right that being married to me was God's best for him but the timing he he sought and he needed it wanted it now and gave himself a year and a half of torture <laughs> and finally after we had that conversation my heart was like a tiny bit open to him as a person not anything else and then from there through a series of events we ended up doing an internship at the same church in St. Paul, Minnesota, and over that summer then, I actually got to see him more than just Ben, the sweeper soccer boy. And I got to see him for who he is, the amazing, anointed, powerful, somewhat corny, but funny guy that he is. And one day I saw him witnessing to some guys after he had had like a really horrible day. And when I saw him move past his circumstances that were a horrible, horrible day, and reach out to someone and share Jesus with them, oh my word, I was like, oh, I could see myself in his arms someday. And from that moment till eternity, I've never looked back. And it's been awesome. But until that moment, it was super hard for both of us. For me, I had to learn that my expectations of how something would happen did not mean that if it didn't happen that way, it wasn't God. Because in my mind, I would meet a guy, we'd be friends, and we'd like maybe start to like each other. And then we'd go on a date, and then we'd decide if we wanted to go on another date. And then maybe we would talk about our future, and then maybe, like it was just this long, drawn-out romantic thing. And he skipped all that. He couldn't be the one. So dumb. But when I realized that the promise of being married to Ben was so good that even though getting there didn't look like what I thought it would be, that if I could just let go of the journey and look at God's way of giving me the promise of being married to Ben, it was so much better. So Ben is so glad that I came around. And now we've been married almost 15 years, which is crazy. Yay, that is a good thing. <clears throat> Woohoo! <laughs> but he will tell you that asking God the timing and the when of his promises is pretty important <laughs> to being able to enjoy the journey to those promises. Another thing that we can see um, from the story here of these two sons is that when the younger son received his promise, He thought it was for himself. He took his father's life, his livelihood, everything that he had done through his whole life, and he said, this is for me to squander. And this word here where it says loose living, that word in Greek is the opposite of the word sozo which sozo means saved, healed, restored, delivered. And he chose to leave that life to be able to try and satisfy his desires with the livelihood of his father. And I just want you to know that when you receive the promises of God, it's not to fulfill your needs. That's in him. Ben kind of talked about it today, but Jehovah Jireh, the one that is your provider is where you are taken care of. It's not in the fulfillment of your promises. You don't have to wait for the promises to be fulfilled to have your needs met. Do you understand what I'm saying? That like, just like with, with Ben's story, he was looking to the fulfillment of promises. Okay, when my promise is fulfilled, then I'll have peace. Then everything will be okay. No, going into marriage with that in mind puts a lot of pressure on the other person and on yourself. Marriage is not easy. God has to be the one that gives you all that you need. And just like we see with the younger son, he didn't fulfill that. It ran out. He left the father's home and lost the provision of the father. Now, the older son, instead of spending the promises, he was working for the promises of God. Oh man, Ben worked for his promise, like really hard, <laughs> like overtime. And it didn't work. The harder he worked, the more it pushed me away. When he finally took his hands off and gave me some breathing room, then I could hear God for myself and walk into the promises that were beneficial for both of us. But when the older son looked at what he was doing, do you see that in the story? He said, look what I have done. I did all of these things for you, and yet you give him a party and a feast. He was looking at himself. Sometimes when we're looking at the promises of God, we try to prove that we're worth the promise. Like, but look at how good I am. Look at all the things that I've left for you. Don't I deserve this promise now? But the older son missed where he was supposed to be looking, looking at the father. The father said, anytime you could have had anything that was here. Ben kind of talked about this morning that if we don't ask, then we don't have. That's what Jesus said. So as we're serving, as we're in the house of God, and as we're working, let's not forget to celebrate. Do you hear me? Let's not forget to enjoy being with God and enjoying what he has and who he is. Now, the timing of promises is where we can get hung up. Some of you may even have heard a specific time. Um, I'm going to share a little bit about um, my journey. My husband and I, uh, we dealt with infertility. And after we'd been married two years, we said, all right, let's have a baby. And it didn't work. And it took about three and a half years before we got pregnant. And now we have Zoe, who's eight. Um, But that three and a half years was so awful. I would not wish infertility on anyone. It was really, really, really hard. And through all of that, we had so many words that I stopped telling people we were having trouble getting pregnant because so many people were really, like, helpful and wasn't that helpful. (laughs) I remember one place we went, um, we were traveling and doing ministry at this time, and one woman said, at this time next year, you'll have twins. I was like, hmm, okay, we'll see. So I like mentally noted like the time of the year that it was. And next year came around, no twins. So the timing that if that was God speaking through her, if that was the timing, then something was off. And sometimes we do have a timing in mind. But with God, he loves to release his promises in the fullness of time. It says in Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time, Jesus came. And this fullness of time kind of gives you that understanding of like, a, like pregnancy, that there is a certain amount of time that needs to happen for the health of that child, right? And when it gets to that fullness, that mama knows, okay, the fullness of time has come. This child needs to come, and the fullness of time has arrived, and it's time, right? But without a doctor's help, you can't really isolate it to a moment that you plan and set forth ahead of time. There is some like scientific understanding of how the baby signals to the mother that the baby's ready to come somehow, and through that then the labor is started. But that doesn't happen at a specific like chronological time. It happens in a kairos moment. And what that is, is the right time. And you can't set your clock to it. All you can do is look to the heart of God for that kairos moment, the right moment. And when we look at when Jesus came, that's what we see. When Jesus came in culture on the earth, there were certain things that were in place that weren't in place from the years before or after that allowed when he came that the distribution of the gospel could go to the ends of the earth. When Jesus came, the Roman roads were being built. Culture was becoming more connected. The waterways like the Mediterranean Sea and all around were being cleared of pirates and things like that so that when Jesus came and gave the church to the disciples, called them his ecclesia. they could go and actually go. That couldn't have happened, let's say, when David was king. If Jesus came when David was king, the fullness of time, that maximum impact for Jesus to come wouldn't have been there. And another thing, when Jesus came, there was a certain horrible way to die that was in place, which was the cross. And because Jesus died in that way, he fulfilled so many prophecies through the Old Testament by giving his life on a cross that couldn't have happened at another time. Isn't that amazing? God knew what he was doing. But I can't even imagine being one of those people that were in exile with Israel, knowing that Messiah was coming. But hundreds of years going by, thousand years going by after David was king until Jesus came. But in God's care and in God's order, which is so much more amazing than we can imagine, in his order, Jesus came at the right time. Isn't that powerful? At the right time. So what I saw over promises was this picture of a time capsule. And I saw promises that God has spoken. And I already mentioned some of them. But like I just talked about my story, being a mom. I wanted to be a mom so badly. And when it didn't happen month after month after month, I started to wonder, like, is this okay? Like, is it okay for me to want to be a mom? Maybe it's selfish. Maybe I'm not asking for something that's good. Every time that I would ask God, is it okay for me to ask for this, I would always hear his yes. It was a good thing. There are some promises that we hold on to that are good things. And what I saw was these promises being put into a time capsule and put into the ground. And then I saw Holy Spirit hovering over that time capsule and watching over it. And it was like those promises were incubated. Again, just like a baby in a mother's womb is incubated. Like the mother's body keeps it warm, feeds it, keeps it from like uh, all of the things that need to flow in the body to work. And even comforting, like the sound of her heartbeat brings comfort to that baby in her womb. And I just saw that, that the Holy Spirit was keeping these promises alive keeping them well, keeping them thriving, and watching over them until the right moment. And then I saw this time capsule come out of the ground and be launched like a rocket and explode in the air and fall all over this huge territory for maximum impact so that they didn't just come in a time when it wouldn't have impacted as much But God is waiting for the right time for those promises to be released and to be fulfilled because your promises are an avenue of blessing for other people. Do you hear me? Your promises fulfilled is a blessing for other people. When God called Abram, he said, Through you, the whole world would be blessed was Abraham blessed by God's covenant? Yes, absolutely. But how sad would it have been if it just ended with him. Right? If it just was one lifetime and then it was done. God is so much bigger minded than that. And however long ago he lived, 6000 years ago, God said him, I pick him to bless we are experiencing the blessing of Abraham that thousands of years ago, because he said, yes, I'm going to walk this journey with you, and I'm going to believe for the promises, the, starting with the promise of a son. I'm going to believe for that, and I'm going to wait with you so that the whole world would be blessed. Your promises are for your whole family to be blessed, are for your whole sphere of influence to be blessed. They're for your whole region, your whole city, your whole big world (laughs) to be blessed. It's so much more than just you. When Ben's promise was fulfilled and when my promise was fulfilled, we've been so blessed by our marriage. But our marriage, we know, is not just for us. But our marriage is a way for God to be a blessing to other people. And because God honored us and gave us our promises, now we can walk in blessing in that way. By ourselves, I'm sure we could be a blessing. But together, God saw a way for more people to be blessed, to have maximum impact with our lives. Isn't that awesome? So when you're going after a promise, it's not a selfish thing, okay? Some of you may have questioned that, like, okay, I have this dream, or someone gave me this word, or I heard this thing while I was praying one day. Man, if I do that, people will, like, notice me, and, like, maybe I'll stand out, and maybe I'll have more attention drawn to me. That must be a selfish ambition. No, absolutely not. You are created to shine. And one of the ways that we can shine is through the fulfillment of promises. Now, if we look at when Jesus came, the enemy tried to kill the fulfillment, right? He put it in Herod, the king's heart, that he was being attacked, that there was something that was coming in underneath, behind closed doors that he couldn't see. And so he went after the promises. But even then, God was watching over his promise, right? And he warned Joseph in a dream and saved Jesus from the enemy trying to kill the fulfillment of that dream. And then when that didn't work, the enemy tried to bring an enticement for early fulfillment. When he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he was trying to say, you see this promise that the Father has for you? Why don't you just get it now? Here, just have what I have. I'll give it to you. Just take it now. Jesus was tempted to change the timing of stepping into full restoration of relationship between God and man. That's what the enemy was tempting him with. But he knew, he looked at his father, and he knew that anything outside of the timing of his father would cancel what was ahead for him. And so he could resist that His eyes were on the Father. He was full of Holy Spirit, and his eyes were on the joy set before him. Now, I want to end with one final note about our promises. In our promises, the big picture promise for us is knowing the Father. And that's what the two sons missed out on. The younger son said, I don't want to know you anymore. I'm done. I know enough of you. Give me the fulfillment of my promise. And then I'll go look somewhere else to be fulfilled. And the older son wasn't looking to know the father either. He was looking to work for him. And Jesus said that eternal life, which is like the best inheritance that we can have, is knowing the father. In John 17, verse 3, Jesus says eternal life is knowing the Father. And so as we're in the waiting, the question we can ask is, how can I know you more? What can I know about you in this waiting time? And realize that you may feel like you're in the roller coaster and you're going up the hill and you don't know when it's going to crest and you're going to go down, know that the Father is right next to you. Right there in the seat next to you. And as you're in the waiting, you're not alone. And how beautiful it is to get through the waiting and realize that you haven't just received your promise, but you've also gotten to know the Father more. And I'll tell you for me, as I was dealing with infertility and every month questioning, what do I know about God? I thought He was a good dad, but here I felt like He was dangling being a mom in front of me, and then every month He would take it away because I wouldn't get pregnant. And when I finally verbalized that to Him and said, I feel like you're not a good father and you're just teasing me, immediately, I broke down and was crying because I knew it wasn't true. I just hadn't said it out loud. But once I said it and realized what was under the surface, it got exposed to light and it didn't have power over me anymore. And then I could start to shift. That was definitely the turning point for me in my journey of waiting. That was about two and a half years into that journey, maybe three years into that journey. Until that point, I just couldn't understand how God could be good, and we weren't receiving this promise. How could you be good, and this isn't happening? In that moment, I realized that this had no reflection on him being a good father, and that I didn't know why it wasn't happening. The doctors had no clue. I had no idea why. But even though I didn't know why, I couldn't explain it, It didn't change his goodness. And as I shifted, and then the rest of that time of waiting and waiting and waiting, that was kind of off the table. No longer, I wasn't questioning his goodness anymore. It was still hard, it was still like a bummer. (laughs) But that part was done. And so I got to know, I'm so grateful for that part of this journey that I got to know his goodness even when I didn't get what I wanted, even when it wasn't happening at the time that I wanted. And at the last month before I had my positive pregnancy test, yay, we had person after person after person call us out and, and give words of knowledge about people that were married and were trying to get pregnant and weren't, and they wanted to pray for them. And so that last month, I was kind of irritated, and I was not in full belief because I was tired of this being exposed for other people to see because it's kind of like you kind of want to hide when that's going on. And so I kept being put out there and put out there, and word after word came. And finally, the last person was speaking at the school um, that I used to work at that Ben works at now in um, Pennsylvania, And he um, was speaking at the school, and my job was to give the speakers their honorarium. And so I gave him his check, and he said, You know, Micah, I just know that God's going to give you and your husband a baby. And I was like, Hold on. Are you for real? Because it's been a long, long process, and I'm tired of not knowing and of people telling us we're going to have a baby. I was super blunt and honest with him because I was fed up. And he said, Oh, yeah, I just see that you have so much love between you that God wants to just bless that love with a baby. I was like, All right, we'll see. That was my like, maybe. (laughs) And then the next morning, I took a pregnancy test and it was positive. Woohoo, it was awesome. But I will tell you, the first feeling that I had when I looked at that was, God, I'm so sorry I didn't believe. It broke my heart that the day before I was like, eh, we'll see, maybe. Instead of, yay, I believe it, and I'm gonna like tell everyone, guess what? We're gonna have a baby. Like in my head, I was thinking, why didn't I react like that? He's a good father. But in that moment, when that feeling came up of regret and how I handled my waiting. I said, God, I'm so sorry that I didn't believe. And immediately I felt his forgiveness, and the next feeling I felt was joy. So I didn't stay there very long, but I was so overcome with that like ambivalence I had towards that promise that it's caused me to look at his promises through his eyes. Just like Ben was talking about this morning, like a dad... Getting excited about the gifts that he had for his kids. And just knowing, like if you can close your eyes and think about it, that God is so excited for you to receive these promises. Like he's so excited to give us our little bundle of joy in Zoe, Joy Delight Williams, our little girl, that he's just beaming to give you the promises that he has for you. He's not a stingy Scrooge. Kind of character that's like, all right, here's one penny for you. He's like, I can't wait to give you these promises and to fulfill these things for you. That's the Father that we have. So tonight, no matter where you are, if you're still waiting for the promises, if you have something that you can look back and say, yes, I saw a promise fulfilled and it was the best, but you still have some that you're holding on to. I want you to know that the Father is there with you in the waiting and that knowing him is your journey and it's part of what the waiting is for. So Pastor Steve, are you going to come up? And Okay, so why don't you come up and then after he comes up, I want to sing over you and I just want to commend you for your waiting. Some of you are waiting for a healing for you or for someone else that for years you've been praying for healing. Some of you are waiting for a relationship, either a son or daughter that's estranged from you, or a sibling or a parent that you're waiting for restoration. Some of you are waiting for dreams to be fulfilled. And again, I want you to know that those are not bad things. The enemy wants to twist it in your head to protect your heart to say, oh, yeah, you shouldn't be thinking about that. Or, yeah, you shouldn't be going after that. Just because he wants you to be distant from God. Instead of saying that, let your heart be exposed to God to say, God, this is no fun. I'm not enjoying this waiting But I'm going to keep my heart open and I'm going to keep myself vulnerable and let you be the one to comfort my heart in this waiting because I know you're good. Yeah. Well, that's really good.